Welcome to Vision Drip, a podcast designed to give you a steady drip of our vision, mission, and DNA to establish and refine the gospel culture at Sacred City Church. I'm your host, Pastor Sam Schmidt, church planter and pastor of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. I am so excited to have you with me as I hope this podcast helps to equip you as a disciple of Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life as we set out to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. Not only do I hope that this podcast helps you grow, but it would grow your affections for Jesus. So let's dive into this episode of Sacred City Vision Drill. How's it going? Welcome to a, another episode of Sacred City Vision Drip. Uh, this week, I am not doing what I said I was going to do. Sometimes, you know, when you make the rules, you can change the rules, right? And since, you know, maybe my mom and three other people are listening to this, who cares, right? Change the rules. Why not? Well, um, w- w- a reason why I want to change the rules is because of... Uh, this is kind of like a version of, of sermon leftovers that I've I've done before. Like, you know, those those sermons that I preach that, man, there's just so much content that I don't get to say everything that I want to say, or even even like the best of the stuff that I have to say doesn't even make it in the sermon. So um, that's kind of like that, a little bit different. Because after um, our, our Sunday gathering this past week, where we sat down in Ephesians chapter 5, um, and here the Apostle Paul says, I got it right in front of me here. It says, nope, that's Exodus chapter 5. Very different story, different narrative. Um, Exodus, nope, not Exodus, but Ephesians chapter 5. That's what I'm after. Um, Paul starts out by saying, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And, and one of the things to say, imitate God, means to be um, holy. And in fact, later on, he talks about the holy ones, like um, the saints, um, so he says, be imitators of God in his holiness um, as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so here, really what's happening is he, he's presenting this vision of who God is. Um, God is holy and God is love, sacrificial, not just any kind of love, but sacrificial Love and, and he's calling us as beloved children, as the holy ones, um, as the saints who have been um, redeemed by the gospel to live lives that are in accordance with this new identity that we have in Christ. And so then he goes in and works out like, wh- so here's what it looks like to walk in love. And he talks through some of those things. Now, the next thing he says is here's what it looks like to not walk in love. And he says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints, among the holy ones. Therefore, let filthiness, uh, let no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, um, thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, but everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Now, really interesting what's happening. So earlier in, in verse one, he says, um, be imitators of God as beloved children. And then later on in this passage, he says, don't 
don't be like the sons of disobedience. He's talking about the Gentiles who live a uh, sexually promiscuous life. They, they, their, their sense of morality uh, is subpar to this, this biblical morality that God calls his people to. Um, and, and covetousness is just sort of a way of, it's like, you know, everybody's, everybody covets. Everybody has this inordinate desire for that which is not theirs. So, but Paul is calling us into a countercultural lifestyle here, and it's really interesting how the gospel reshapes our view uh, on sexuality. And so I, I preached this sermon on Sunday, and, and I really would encourage you, if you haven't listened to it, uh, to go back. Um, I, I really worked hard um, to to serve the church well in, in putting that together, and, and I hope that it you know it serves you. So um, go find that. It's called Resurrection um, Sexuality because the gospel reshapes, reorients, makes us reimagine everything about sex. It 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 it, um, it redeems our guilt and our shame that we may have experienced in the past. Um, it, it sort of re um, reinstates the glory of sex of what it was meant to be in, in this beautiful. Um, uh, context of marriage where you do with your bodies what you've already done with your the rest of your lives, your souls. Um, and so um, here Paul is really pushing through here about like we ought to be Christians, have a, a high sexual morality, right? A, a biblical, a gospel-centered sexual morality that, that doesn't put me at the center, which is in the culture that we live in, sexuality is a way to put myself at the center. And the way that I put myself at the center is by treating people um, as objects to use and discard or or even even if it's not like a one-night stand or pornography or something like that where, you, where it's sort of that disposable transactional sort of relationship, even um, adultery, like having having sexual relationships with someone who's not your spouse, well, you're, you're mocking the covenant of marriage every time you do that. You say, well, I can, I can have the benefits of marriage without actually making the covenant. And what we're finding and what you do look through some of the psychology work, the sociology work that's happening right now is that this is devastating, um, our our relationships. This is devastating, um, marriage in general. There's a lot of, of really not good things, um, that come out of our culture's, uh, utilitarian view on sexuality. It's just something that I do to use. I'm an instinctual animal, animal. And, and the danger of this, or not that it's not the danger, it's, it's going to happen. So I don't know, is that when Christians hold to a biblical sex ethic, we're, we put a target on back because we are being, uh, countercultural. We're saying, Hey, we, we don't agree with that, um, we're not on board with the LGBTQ stuff. Uh, we're not on board with adultery. We're not a bo- uh, on board with pornography. We're not on board with sex trafficking. Like that stuff as Christians that we ought to be against. Now, while we, we take that stance and we uphold um, one man, one woman in the covenant of marriage, that's the only fitting context, that's the only God-ordained context for expressing sexuality, Um we still love those people. Like this church loves people who are struggling with same-sex attraction. We're we still love and care for uh, and seek to minister to people who are hurting and living these lifestyles where sex, you know, their choices regarding sexuality um, have compounded misery and made life harder and just perpetuated brokenness. Um, we are not we're not here to condemn. Okay, as Christians. Our job is not to condemn. We're here to, 
within our circle, you know, and remember this, when Paul's writing Ephesians 5, he's talking to Christians. He's not trying to critique a culture. He's not standing out on the corner trying to get the rest of the, the city of Ephesus to agree with him um, on these things when it comes to sexuality. He's speaking to people who are in the church, people who understand uh, the implications of the resurrection on their life and how when Jesus is Lord of all, um, that includes our sexuality. So with that, um, that, that was our conversation and, and go back, listen to that. Um, you know, the danger in, in swimming against the current is that you're going to be labeled as a bigot. You're going to be labeled as narrow minded, as unaccepting. And I just think that is such a, a, a caricature of what real gospel people are like, how we can, how we can, um, denounce the sin yet still hold on to the sinner and embrace them with the welcome of Jesus. And so, um, anyway, but what I did after the service um, is I pulled the men aside. And so this actually, uh, in, into that long segue here, uh, this is mostly intended for men. Um, I want to speak to the men of Sacred City. And, and we had a good crew of guys um, hang out uh, with us following the gathering, just a short five, ten minute little little talk. I, I had some notes written down, and, and I'm just going to read these notes um, for you. Um, my goal was to keep it kind of brief and direct, and so uh, hopefully that carries over here into this um, this podcast. So like I was saying, when, when it comes to sexuality, Christians being called into having a resurrection sexuality, um, Jesus' call on our life as disciples, as men and women, um, as sexual creatures, is to live a sexually pure life, um, which means that we are called to celibacy until we are married and then when we are in, in marriage to one man, one woman in the covenant before God, which is marriage, nothing else is marriage, um, we are called when we're in marriage to be pure, fully devoted to one spouse, our heart, our affections, our body, our soul, everything is is intertwined with them. Um Matt Chandler has a book called The Mingling of Souls. I think that's a cool uh, illustration to see two people mingling, every part of their life mingling together. And while um, while we take the stance um, and having a biblical, uh, biblically defined sexuality, um, the culture very much is opposed to this, uh, very prudish in their opinion, um, because rather than seeing sex as something that's glorious, something that um, that God has created um, and has called good and has uh, just this unique beauty to it when it's in the context of marriage. Culture sees sex as a marketing tool, um, as a form of entertainment. Um, and uh, man, it's just spitting on 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 the beautiful gift of sex that, that God has given us. And so um, I think that one of the major things, there are a lot of things that are undermining the sacredness of sex, um, and, and specifically uh, undermining the sacredness of sex uh, within the church, I think at the top of the list is is pornography and all of its expressions, whether it's whether it's real full blown um, explicit content or if it's more you know scantily clad women um, on your social media pages that that um, get you into the brothel of your mind. So. Um, with the, the development, and I mean, like over the last several decades, the development of pornography, um, it, it's become more prevalent um, in our society. It's been normalized where um, if you're not looking at porn, you're considered to be a weirdo among most, you know, if you 
if you're, you know, ab- among your non-Christian friends, for sure. Um, and because it's become more accessible through the internet than ever before, um, because it's so, so every much everywhere it's, and be normalized. There, there's like a lot of young kids being exposed to pornography at ages that is just shocking. Um, and, and this is a, a danger for our society that th- there, there are terrible consequences, um, as the, the moral standard of sexuality in our culture sort of, uh, spirals down the drain. And, and one of the greatest um, issues with this, the, the things that it, it creates, is that it creates men who objectify women. Um, you look at a woman on a screen, and to you, she's nothing. Um, she's just a, a way to a cheap pleasure. She's disposable. Uh, if you don't like what you see, you can bounce to another clip or another photo. Um, and, and you're in that moment, you are looking at a woman who has been made in the image of God, and you are demeaning her into an object for you to be used for a cheap pleasure. It's disgusting. Like when you when you frame it up like that, it's just it's heart wrenching. A woman made in the image of God, and that's the way you know, like that. That's you know the the cliche of that's somebody's daughter. Well, yeah, that's that woman belongs to God, right? He made her. He he's her workmanship. And, and to treat her so disposably is such a travesty. Another thing that really, um, you know, and this is under the umbrella of desensitizing and dehumanizing both the creators of pornography and those who use it. Because it, it's not just those who are, you know, offended. Like, in you using pornography, it's damaging your own soul. It's desensitizing you. It's, it's dehumanizing yourself. Um, and we're even even where the sense of conviction of the Holy Spirit can be hushed in silence. So uh, another product of this is that it creates an unrealistic expectation for sex and relationships. Like if you watch porn, um, there is a certain kind of exchange that happens within certain videos where you think that's kind of how it goes down, right? If that's what you're exposed to most often, and it's just really, really unhealthy, um, it's definitely not sacrificial love. It's it's utilitarian love. It's me-centered love. It And so it creates unrealistic and unhealthy expectations uh, for sex and relationships. What happens then? Um, pornography launches us into a fantasy world. Um, and one of the one of the things about the gospel is that the gospel is meant to settle us in reality, okay? As Christians, we are people who are not living in this kind of la-la land. We, are, we have received, uh, as Paul talks about in, in the very beginning of Ephesians, we, we've received uh, the revelation of Christ. We, there, there's been something, there's an unveiling that's a, taken place. So now through the lens of the gospel, we see things as they really are. Now, not in fullness yet, because God is progressively sanctifying our hearts and our minds to, to more fully understand reality and to live in reality. In fact, that's that's one of the, and I'm, I'm reading a book right now, Live No Lies by John Mark Comer that, that talks about this really interesting how um, society gets disrupted when reality gets uh, called into question. And so that's what that's what pornography does. It launches us into a fantasy world. It makes us dissatisfied with reality, whether it be our current situation with the current relationship we're in, or maybe it's it's uh, our, our sex life within our marriage. It just makes us dissatisfied and it kind of cements us in that. Uh, and it's 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 also 
also uh, terribly dehumanizing and desensitizing. Um, and then what it does, it, it reconditions us um, for fleeting instant gratification, cheap, fleeting instant gratification, instead of leaning into uh, the thing that what men are called in, into doing is like doing the hard thing, which is self-control and fostering real intimacy with a real woman. Okay, so if if you if you can take the easy road and log on to whatever stupid sites out there, which is you know, ugh. Instead of being self-controlled, instead of pursuing a woman in a godly way and fostering real intimacy, then you just, it's like settling for a McDonald's kids meal instead of a porterhouse, guys. And so God wants us to be men of integrity that step into this, to exercise self-control through the spirit, self-control. And then to lean into relationships as God puts before us. So um, there's there's terribly terribly uh, devastating consequences to pornography, and that's just a few off the top of my head. Um, but but this is not just a, a problem with our culture. Um, this is something that's plaguing the church. The the there's a statistic here, and actually here's another interesting thing that's that phenomenon is that while um, pornography started out, and for for the beginning of its, you know, through the Playboy era, through, um, you know, the, the internet pornography, it was mainly targeted toward men, um, and, and we're seeing there is an uptick in porn usage among among, among women, um, but still, statistically speaking, um, the majority of pornography consumers are men, um, which means. Uh, this is a this is a crisis of manhood in some ways. In a 2014 Barna study, it shows that 64% of Christian men admitted to viewing pornography at least once a month. At least once a month. Now, that's a big number. Um, 64% of Christian men. Now, if you compare that to uh, non-Christian men, the number for non-Christian men viewing pornography, according to this 2014 study, was 65%. There was only a 1% difference between Christian men who, you know, if, if you're a Christian man, you're professing the lordship of Jesus, and this is an area of life where clearly the lordship of Jesus is not being acknowledged, compared to those outside of the church or non-Christians. There's not a lot of difference. Um, and, and one of the myths about pornography, if you're using pornography, you, you might tell yourself, hey, when I get married, this will just sort of disappear. Guess what? It doesn't. It doesn't. Unless you fight, unless you go to war with your lust and your uh, twisted and perverted desires, it's not going to go away. And statistics show 40% of married men still use pornography. 40%. So it's very clear, marriage doesn't fix the problem. If I had more time, I'd get into some of these more the more statistics. Um, Barna did a study in 2016, put this booklet together with a bunch of both fascinating and deeply troubling statistics about pornography and how it's affected different generations and different cultures and all of these things. And, and at the bottom of the line here, um, bottom line is that n- pornography has a very, very negative effect on people, on a lot of people. Um and, and as we talk about it, um, I, I don't sit on my high horse as a guy that's never struggled with this before or never had issues when it comes to sexual sin. Um, I am a sexual sinner. Now, I'm not, I'm not 
I am happily married. I am not committing adultery. I am not looking at pornography. Um, but I have, um, in the past, especially in, in my college years, I struggled really hard through that. Um, but by the grace of God, he has con- continues to work on me. Now, the temptation for those things or, or the, even the opportunity of those things hasn't gone away. But what's changed is the Spirit has implanted in me um, the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Um, and against those things, there is no law. And, and God has done a work in my heart through the gospel to cultivate a sense of contentment within my own soul um, so that... Uh, that I am content in Jesus first and foremost, um, but also I'm married. So I, I, I'm in a, a covenant um, with my wife, and one of the, the uh, fruits of the, one of the privileges of the covenant is to get to uh, enjoy sex with my wife. And so um, I'm finding contentment in her. And so this is a gift. Um, but, but what these statistics show us um, is that pornography is devastating, and it's devastating a lot of men. And when you switch it into um, the church world and think about it, what kind of effect it's having on um, men in the church, pornography is creating spiritual stagnancy and lethargy. Lethargy. I think that's the right way you say it. What's, what it does, it, it, debil- it debilitates us in shame. Um, just knowing, just being known that you have a, a, an issue with lust or pornography or some other kind of sexual sin can be paralyzing, um, feeling shame. Now, one of the things that you do is once you start to feel shame, you just sort of get immune to it. And shame is actually meant to lead us to God. It's not meant to be a resting place, but shame is meant to like take us to God so we can experience the forgiveness that he wants to offer us. But if we are just kind of like hardened in in our sin, um, it's going to be paralyzing, uh, paralyzing to us, and, and it's going to drive a wedge between us and Jesus, right? It is hard, if not impossible, to be intimate with Jesus in the way that the Bible describes um, and and envisions for Christians on a personal level um, and to continue in a life of sexual sin. Now, you might think it's possible or or your feelings tell you, oh, yeah, me and Jesus. That's part of being deceived, my friends. That's why there's a warning in in chapter 5 of do not be deceived because there's going to be empty words, there's going to be empty assurances thrown your way that are going to make you think that, oh yeah, I can sexually sin and be tight with Jesus. And in fact, um, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about this. Um, 1 Corinthians, oh boy, I don't have it right in front of me. But he talks about like because of our union with Christ, we are in Christ and and Christ is in us. um, And the act of sexual sexual act of sex joins us together. The two become one flesh. Paul says, listen, why would you go and unite yourself to a prostitute or, or really anyone who's not your spouse? Um, and he's like, do you not realize that when you do that, you bring Jesus, you defile Jesus. And so there's a sense because Jesus is holy and pure and good. This is, this is not compatible. It's, it's, contradictory um, to a a life lived in the gospel. So it debilitates us in in shame. Pornography disqualifies us from spiritual leadership in the home. Like if if you cannot lead your home well because of the shame, because of of whatever it is that's paralyzing you, um, or or maybe you're just not probably, you're probably not leading your wife very well. Um, Is if, if we poked around, that would be one of the things that 
we'd be likely to find. Um, and if you can't lead in the home, then you, you can't lead in the church. And so it, it's a disqualifying thing. And not only that, even if you're not in a leadership role um, and you're you're just kind of around, you lose confidence and credibility among those that you're you know, being discipled by and trying to disciple. Um, and so it just really undermines whatever spiritual influence that you have um, because you continue to be engaged um, with pornography. And, and the last thing, like I was saying with the Corinthians passage, is that it defames the name of Jesus and it ruins our Christian witness. If we're no better than the culture, then what good are we, right? If we don't have any sort of um, spiritual power that enables us to, to rein in our evil and sinful desires, then what good uh, is Christ to us? And so it's, it's really important. There's a lot at stake here. And what Jesus is calling us to be um, through the gospel is to be men of nobility, um, men who fight against the evil of pornography, um, and we fight alongside other brothers and, and brothers with a limp, right? This is not something that, oh, I've, I'm at the mountaintop and I figured this out and now I can fight against it. No, but brothers who are like, I see that this is wicked. I see that this is not God's desire for me to participate in this. And I want to fight it, and I want to get after it, and I want to put it to death. And what you got to do is limp your way through, find a brother to lean on, get in the trenches, and fight tooth and nail for purity and human dignity because Jesus died to make men holy. I love the the hymn, uh, Battle Hymn of the Republic. Great line in there. <coughs> it says, um, as he died to make men holy, let us live to make men free. I love that. Uh, such a... It has this sort of nobility. It just it gives us an image of, hey, Jesus died to purify us. Let's live into that. And while we're living to it, let's make other men free. Because when we fight, we're not only fighting for our, our own personal spiritual purity, but it is enabling and encouraging our brothers to fight too. And it's a hard fight, but it's totally worth it. In fact, I think the worst thing that we can do as Christian men is just to wave the white flag and say, eh, we're stuck like this forever. Totally untrue. If that's your mindset, you are living in a lie. It's not going to be easy. Like I said, it's a hard fight. But Jesus supplies the power um, to fight. I just think of Paul when he's talking about how he how he toils uh, with Christ energy, right? That's what the that is what the fight against pornography and sexual sin requires. The energy of Christ, the power of Christ implanted us in us through the power of the Holy Spirit that compels us to live this kind of holy and pure and pleasing life to God. Now, thankfully, there are a lot of resources out there to help you. If you're a guy that's saying, "Well, I just don't know where to start," here's a couple of places where you can start. First of all, internet blockers. Um, here's what I know. Internet, um, there are a lot of internet blockers out there. Like, uh, I think it's called X, 3X maybe, 3X, Covenant Eyes. I mean, just do a a, uh, a Google search of, of internet blockers and you will find something. One for your phone, one for all of your computer screens. Um, here's another thing that, cause I hear this sometimes too, is like you're watching a movie that you want to watch and there's this, this scene in it that is definitely not quite appropriate. Um, and that kind of like triggers this, you know, a, a domino effect. There's, there's a, uh, an app called VidAngel 
that you can use, download it, and um, you can stream things, movies, and it has filters on it. So if you're watching, it's great if you're watching with kids. So if you don't want coarse language or anything like that, or you can filter anything you want. Um, and so you can sit down and you can watch a movie with your wife and not have to worry about, oh, am I going to see a pair of boobs that I don't want to see, you know, or that you probably want to see, but you know that it's not good for your soul to see. And so fighting against that, that, that wicked desire. Uh, another thing, there are a lot of resources as far as books go. Um, I have a PDF that I, I'd be happy to share from a brother in the Acts 29 network called You Can Be Free that they wrote to help. Um, there's a book by David Paulison called um, Slaying the Giant. Um, there's another book by Deepak Reju called Fighting for Purity. Um, lots of good um, good books, good gospel. These are all gospel centered books. Um, it's not just like, Hey, try better, do, you know, try harder, do better. Um, but a book that just came out, um, that I, I actually have a copy for you. I bought, I bought all the men of sacred city, a copy of this book. Cause I think it's really important. Um, it's called the death of porn men of integrity, but building a world of nobility. It's by uh, pastor Ray Ortland, who I consider to be a spiritual mentor from afar. I very much appreciate his voice. Um, and his spirit, um, and he is a an older pastor, uh, actually retired, I think, within the last year, um, but still doing ministry. Uh, and he wrote this book, and I read it. I sat, I read it in one reading. It was so good. I kept going, and I, I just kept thinking, every guy in Sacred City needs to hear this. It's not going to tell you the how tos of how to beat pornography, if, if whether you're addicted or if you're a, you know, a moderate user or whatever, whatever that is, looks like for you. He's not going to give you the how to's what he's going to do. Um, instead of giving like an instruction manual on how to build a ship, he's going to paint a vision, give you a vision of, of the sea, right? The open sea. So he, he, I really think this is really important for us to have our imaginations captured, our affections sort of uh, of of sucked into this kind of view that he wants to lay out, and then the rest is going to follow. Um, and and I think one of the things that actually the biggest thing that he advocates for in this book is just having um, men that are trusted Christian friends that you can have real accountability with. Um, when the enemy keeps us in the darkness, we will always be weak. We, we will always be at a disadvantage. We won't know where he's coming from. We won't know where to swing the sword. We won't have anybody having our backs. Um, but the gift is when we bring our sins to the light, um, the light overcomes the darkness. Uh, we find now we have the resources that we need to fight because we're not hiding it. We've brought it out. We've, we've got the help of Jesus. We're calling for his help. And then we've got brothers and sisters um, especially, you know, typically probably brothers um, who are wanting to fight with us. And I think that women, you know, I hope that our women and, and wives um, are praying for our purity as men um, because they benefit when, when we have uh, redeemed, uh, uh, redeemed sexuality. They, they benefit from that. Um, and so um, accountability with brotherhood where prayer is, is a central piece uh, of what you do together um, I think there's a way to do accountability where you kind of show up and like, oh yeah, I messed up again. And that's kind of where the conversation ends. That's not accountability. That's, um, you know, I don't know what that is. That's like, uh, what is, what do you do that? Uh, what, what is it the Catholics do where they go confession? It's, you know, penance or, or whatever that is. You're like, you're just saying, yeah, I messed up again, but there's no like real 
change. There's no, and so what we got to do um, in real accountability looks like this: to confess first, ask. You should be. It should be a normal thing to turn to your brother and say, "Hey, how are, how are you doing with lust? How's your how's your technology consumption going? Are you finding yourself tempted?" I mean, those are those should be common questions that we have in our fight clubs. So asking questions, um, which provides an opportunity to confess sin. Now, we're not saying that you've you've got to be asked before you can confess sin. You can go straight to it. If if you've been convicted by the Spirit, by all means, confess your sins. Um, bring them before your brothers so they can pray for you and be healed. Powerful prayers of the righteous uh, are powerful and eff- or are effective. Um, so confess sin, repent, actually turn the other direction, not just say, oh, I messed up, but what am I going to do to change? I was going in this way. What do I have to do to go the other way? And then we've got to re- uh, remind each other of the gospel in two things specifically. The real forgiveness that's available to us in Christ, that Jesus has real forgiveness for real sinners. And if we bring our real sin to him, that will be for, it will be forgiven. Um, he is full of mercy and grace. Um, so we have to re- remind each other that, that we do not stand. Uh, I love it, uh, Romans 8. There's, there's therefore now, there is there, there is now, therefore no longer, oh my goodness, I can't. I'll sum it up. There's no condemnation. If you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation. There it is. Uh, for those who are in Jesus Christ. So there's real forgiveness. You don't, you're, if you're in the gospel, you don't stand condemned. And the other thing is that if you're in the gospel, you don't stand uh, in weakness. You don't stand in wimpiness. There is a real power available to you through the Holy Spirit that leads you into self-control, that leads you, I mean, it might even mean it leads you to running away from your sin. Like you got to get up, run out of the house. You got to go find something to do. Uh, Whatever it takes, you got to give some, you got to give away your computer. I don't know. Sometimes it it takes drastic measures uh, to really fight well. And, and I think part of it is, and you, you remind each other the gospel, um, and then you've got to strategize of how can we continue to fight sin together? How can we put this to death? How, you know, and realistically speaking, the desires, the temptations, they're not going to go. But Martin Luther says, Luther said that you can, uh, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair. And I think that's that we have to be understanding that temptation is going to come, but we have to be vigilant in not letting it build nests in our hair. So strategize how can you fight this sin? And remember that prayer is a great weapon to fight, all right? Um, we should be, this should, if anything, this should drive us into our prayer, uh, prayer and, and the Bible more than anything else, all right? Um, if we're taking this seriously, it is a great invitation from the Lord. And then married men, listen. God's given you a gift in a wife that you can enjoy regular intimacy with your spouse. It's a good gift. Receive the good gift and relish in it. Now, if you have a, a sex life that is, um, it just seems inconsistent, then that tells me that that there's something that needs to be done outside of the bedroom um, in order to uh, curate uh, and cultivate intimacy with your wife. So, Maybe that's a date night and you just spend some really quality time talking. Maybe it's, I don't know. There's all kinds. I'm not going to, there's all kinds of really practical, tangible things that you can express to her that I'm moving toward you. Like I'm trying to draw you out and, and share life with you so that when it comes time to share bodies, it makes total sense. Okay. Um, so, oh, there's a saying sex starts in the kitchen. I think that's helpful. Um, 
because you can't just turn it on, right? So, or you might be able to, but for most, it's going to take a little bit of a work uh, to work into that. So foster in intimacy in your marriage by serving your wife first. And then I think another really helpful thing that needs to happen among married men and, and their spouses is having these conversations, very candid conversations. Um, you, you don't tell have to tell her and confess every lustful thought that's in your head. I think that would probably be pretty exhausting. Um, but if there are moments where you feel the spirit convicting you to repent and to confess your sin, please do it. Um, it's a hard conversation and, but, but ultimately it's a conversation that's going to lead rest toward, toward restoration. If you both understand the gospel, um, that's not going to take away the feelings of, of sort of betrayal or, or whatever that, that she might have. I think that's, that's you realizing that there are consequences to your sin, right? It affects people. Um, it's a relational thing that happens. Um, and, and so you, you can have these candid conversations of confession, but also having conversations say, hey, I'm feeling tempted in, in, in this way, or I'm in a season where maybe stress is sort of a, uh, uh, an, what do you, an instigator or whatever it might be. I was like, hey, it would just be really helpful um, to me in feeling like I'm not constantly fighting and waging war if we could have have some sort of regular intimacy that would help me honor you, um, when we're not together. Now, those are conversations that there's not a one size fits all. And so don't, I I would say use, use discernment. Maybe you got to talk to your, your fight club about what that conversation will look like with your wife. Um, but, but I think those are conversations that we should have, um, to set up legitimate expectations, like good, solid, healthy expectations. And so there can be some, some clear follow through, um, with this and men listen and women, Jesus is asking us to swim against the raging current of our culture when it comes to sexuality. And as we swim, it's like we're dragging our brothers and sisters along with us. That 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 this is a fight that we have to do, not just for our sake, um, but for the sake of others. And also, I think, for the sake of our kids. Um, this is something, the more, more and more this gets pressed into the culture, the more this is going to be an issue where like the sex talk is going to have to happen way earlier than what you want to. In fact, there's legislation that's just been, uh, rolled out in Illinois. That's terrifying that by kindergarten, there is going to be, if you're in an Illinois state school and by kindergarten, their sex ed program is kicking in and, and there, there are, I don't know the the full extent, but but there are things about that that are very concerning because then the school, the secular culture, is controlling the the worldview that your child has about sexuality, and so there's a sense that we've got to beat them to the punch on some of those things. Now, I'm closing up here. Oh, this is basically turning into its own sermon. Fighting for sexual purity is not the end all be all of of discipleship. Okay. I had that misconception for a long time um, that I thought, okay, once I got this under control, then man, I'm just going to be a rock star for Jesus. And listen, this is like square one. This, this is some of the stuff that really entry level discipleship is, Hey, this kind of behavior has to get trimmed out. Um, it's not the end all for, be all for discipleship. It's a big step. It's a big part. Um, and if you leave it un- unchecked, it's going to hamper the rest of your discipleship and-, and your spiritual vitality. But this is not the one thing. This is not a one-matter discipleship view. There's a lot of different places. But but there are undertones um, through lust, 
pornography, sexual immorality that carry out into other places. But if you learn how to master it in, in, in the sexual realm, when it comes to sexuality, um, it'll lend itself to fighting your way forward into those other places. And, and what happens is in that process, you become more and more like Jesus. And as you become more like Jesus, as, as you experience the freedom that's for you in the gospel from sexual sin, from pornography, uh, it's like we're playing a game of, of a spiritual game of capture the flag, um, where in your freedom, you can go and help free other people, right? Um, you set the captives free, that there are men in your, your missional community, men at your workplace that are, they might feel like they're trapped, that they, they're just ensnared in sin. And so um, this is a, a beautiful calling the Lord has upon us to fight against this, to be men of integrity, building a world of nobility, and I think it's totally worth it. And so if, if there's anything that I can do to be of encouragement to you as your pastor and help in this, um, I'm willing to have these conversations. I also want to make sure, I've, I think I've got about a dozen of these books left. So if you weren't there on Sunday morning, I've got a book for you. Come find me um, or, or just swing into the church office and, and pick yourself up a copy um, because I really would love for you to have one. So thanks for hanging in there with me. I know that's a long podcast, but man, this is such an important thing that it, it's worth talking about. So with that, um, Jesus loves you. Jesus has forgiveness for you and your sexual sins. And Jesus has a real power to help you overcome it. So let's lean into that power. Thank you.